Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. The church has has made their decisions and made their bed, and um, you're not responsible for that. Yeah. You know, I'm not responsible for that. That's why I'm on this podcast. Like, I'm not covering for anybody anymore. Right. Like, that's their problem. I'm not here because I hate them. It's actually the opposite. Like, I I want people to realize that, like, I, I still care. And, um, but you have to stand on the truth. You have to, like, or else it's going to crumble, going to fall. Eventually, mm. it will. Right. And so, yeah, I guess I would just encourage that, that, like, count the cost of the lies. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm really excited to be joined by Angie and Norman today on the podcast. Uh, can the two of you just introduce yourselves and just give me a little bit of background about how you got introduced to the independent Baptist movement? My name is Angie, and um, I was introduced um, from birth because my my dad and my mom, they're missionaries um, to the Arctic of Canada, so... I was basically raised, born and raised in it, and um, so yeah, all my all my life I've been that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm Norman here. Uh, for myself, my mom got uh, actually she got saved, witnessed to by uh, Angie's sister, and uh, my mom started going to church. Um, my sister actually was led to the Lord by Angie. <laughs> So the family is pretty closely connected there. So they started going to church and uh, I was about 10 years old. I was kind of like dragged uh, kicking and screaming into church because, you know, I'm 10 years old and it's boring. And uh, yeah, so that's where I got introduced. I didn't get saved until like, I don't know, like 15. 
And I think that's where I really started, like actually, you know, serving in church and finding stuff to help and be a hand in the ministry and not just sit there and sleep or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so, I mean, closely knit from the beginning then. um, But I mean, Angie, yours was from, like you said, from birth. So for you, this was the norm from very early on. And then it sounds like from your perspective, you were kind of the, oh, culture shock. Like we're going from <laughs> not being involved. Were you religious at all up until that point? Or oh, kind I, of have, cr- I have very Catholic aunties. Okay. And uh, I went to a couple church services. They have like a really, it's, it's like an igloo shaped uh, Catholic church. <laughs> okay. And uh, I, I just remember that because it looks so cool. And they would say get in just like a regular church. Right. So my mom was, I think, in and out with like Catholic Anglican. It's right. kind of like one or the other up in the north. So right. that's the only, you know, funerals, Easter, Christmas, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so would you say uh, initially, would you say, I mean, obviously you said you were kind of bored by it, but like, did you did you feel like any kind of like, why are we doing this or, or what's the point of us being here? Or was it just kind of like, it is what it is. I'll just grin and bear it for now. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, what was cool was like my mom and sister, they were, they were like really encouraging to, to me as like a little kid yeah. seeing this. Cause uh, you know, the, the weird stuff came later with seeing what we we're in. But what I saw as like a 10 year old was, my mom and sister praying and mm. God answering and things in the home uh, better. And yeah. uh, so that was like, I was like, Oh, this is, you know, this is cool. Yeah. You know, as much as a 10 year old can think, you know, right. Yeah, it, was some, it wasn't overtly negative. It was a po- it was yeah. pretty positive in a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Totally. And uh, Angie, would you say that you had pretty positive feelings toward the movement? I mean, obviously when you're born into it, it, it's what you know, so it's yeah. generally is, but was it pretty positive for you initially as well? Um, I would say for the most part, yes. Um, there was, I think like every pastor's family, there's like some stuff that goes be, um, behind the scenes where, you know, we're like pushed and, and pro- raised on a pedestal to like be this perfect family and so I remember very young, you know, learning to put the mask on. Right. And that was that was pretty hard. Um, but for the most part, like, I would have to agree, like, we, it was positive. You know, you learn po- positive values and um, it's a, it's a close community. <laughs> you know, it's already a small town and it's a small church. Like, everybody's related um so yeah i would say that was pretty positive yeah for the most part (laughs) right right yeah um so what was maybe the first you know the first things that you noticed maybe it wasn't a big thing but what was maybe the first thing that each of you noticed where you thought oh maybe it's not a perfect bubble you know like i thought or maybe you know it's not a flawless you know organization i'm a part of um and i know especially being on the road as a, as a missionary kid, you probably got to see a lot of, you probably saw warts and all traveling to different churches and got to see a, a broad uh, spectrum. But what were some of the first things that you noticed where you felt, you know, maybe uncomfortable or thought, Hey, maybe this isn't quite right. Hmm. Um, 
maybe this is slightly off topic, but like I do, I do remember, um, like I was just a little girl, like all of eight years old and I'm playing in my room. And then all of a sudden I get this thought, I wonder if I'm in a cult. And then that would just go back to playing my Barbies. <laughs> like these, these thoughts would start popping in my head. So like, that's the first like instance, uh, nothing. I don't, I don't know how that came hmm. into my head, into my being. Um, like I want to say now that it was definitely God, um, leading, but, um, hmm. But you can't think of something that like prompted that it just kind of popped up. It, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, can you think of any, I'm, I need a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say for myself. Um, so like I was really sold out in it, like, uh, you know, going to Bible camp, getting all excited, you know, loving the Lord and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it wasn't until like later on when like something came up with uh, Easter or Christmas. And, uh, you know, I was sold out and thinking, oh yeah, we do everything by the Bible. Right. And like, you know, it's, uh, that, that's our foundation. You know, we do all this because it says it in the Bible. And then there were some traditions that I heard about the origins of like with Chris, like not all Christmas, but like, you know, it's like the kind of stuff that floats the top and people talk about. Right. And like, I had some unsafe family that would bring up Christmas a lot. So I brought that up to my pastor and I kind of laid out the, the weird stuff in Easter, like with the eggs and the, and dying them, like the weird origins there. And uh, when I brought that up to my pastor, her dad, and he said, uh, it's like, Norman, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't give you an answer for any of those. Uh, I just know we got to keep doing it because what will I tell my wife? And I remember that hit me. That was, it was like weird. Cause I'm like, you know, we, we do things by the Bible. I'm talking to the leader of the church that holds the Bible and he couldn't give an answer for any of this. And hmm. his, his answer was, what will I tell my wife? And it, it was like, ah, man, it stinks. You know, I was, that's what was like chipping away at me. Like, hmm. yeah. So yeah, I think, I think mine was also like way later as in like what, five years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause like same thing. I was like sold out. Um, what I thought was just like a relationship with God. Like I just, I thought that the, the Baptist doctrine and the Bible hmm. were the same thing. Hmm. I did not realize at this point that it was, yeah. yeah, two different. Well, not I don't want to say two different things, but like I thought we went by the Bible, and um, I, you know, since then have learned like no, it's the Baptist doctrine first, then the Bible. Right. And so I remember when we were down um, in Winkler mm-hmm. at my brother's graduation, we were we had already been like slowly coming to different conclusions. Um, like we're, we're reading the Bible. We're not like just reading one verse and then like closing the book and saying, okay, that's good enough for today. Yeah. Like we're like reading chapters and we're like, oh snap, like this is kind of different from yeah, what we've right. learned. So we're sitting in the, the ser- service and the pastor, um, I don't know, he's basically, what did he say? He was like, basically like, um, yeah, we found someone um, propagating, what did he say? He was like, yeah, he was saying like uh, there was a guy in the church and he always sat in the back row and he started 
questioning and he was bringing up materials and, and talking and, and he like just got rid of them. Right? Yeah. Just got rid of them. He just like threw them out of the church and yeah. like, and we, I remember me and Norman sitting there and our, uh, like, we were just like, okay, like that's kind of freaky. Yeah. And like, we remember like our family was around um, because uh, my dad's a pastor and so was my brother-in-law. Um, pastor missionaries and uh they were all like amen amen and we're sitting like this is really eerie yeah yeah, they just stamped out someone who was just questioning in the church and they were talking about it like it was a big victory yeah Yeah. Yeah. i would say that was my first i mean like i've always had you know those little little moments but like nothing that was monumental i would say Hmm. right Right. Until yeah, then. That, that that was a big point for me. I mean, uh, sexual abuse was one of the things that burst the bubble. Like that was what made me start really digging in and looking at like the chains of this stuff that was happening in the movement. But one of the things that really shook me was when I started really studying my faith for myself. I was watching. I would watch a lot of debates. I would watch <laughs> a lot of um, you know like moderated debates and and speeches and, and, you know, let people explore two different opinions on baptism on all these different things. And I just remember I would see these colleges, these Bible colleges hosting these debates. And then I would think back at like every college I had, you know, considered going to at West coast or housing or so I was like, they would never bring somebody on stage to talk about (laughs) is the King James Bible, the, you know, the only inspired text or is, you know, or end times or any, any of the doctrines, it was, it was preaching that it was authoritative preaching that, you know, affirmed that position over and over Mm. again until you could affirm it. And so that was my, that was my thing where I was like, you know, again, I always bounce back and forth between using the label cult. But I think when you look at the movement broadly, the way that it handles information is very cultish at at best. Um, So, I do want to I do want to circle back a little bit and and like I said before you know feel free to share as much or as little as you'd like to mm-hmm. but um, I know prior to realizing like the doctrinal side you had an experience with sexual abuse in the church um, what how did that impact you at that time and what was kind of I know you were going from church to church and involved in a lot of different ministries like how did that situation unfold um, at such an early age. Um. Okay, well, I'll, I'll first say, like, um, we were classified as missionaries, but I felt like we were more a pastor's family. Hmm. Like, so um, why I say that is, like, uh, my dad was, like, in a missionary setting, I don't think I'm the original person that said this, but, um, like, in a missionary setting, you take your family with you to do stuff and go places and all that stuff. But with our family, it was more like the pastor where my dad went and did stuff and we were just at home. Hmm. So, yeah. So like dad was busy doing whatever he was doing. And, um, it, it actually happened like right in our little house, um, behind the church. And, um, it was this, uh, I think he was like 15 years old. I was like nine or 10. It's, it's a little fuzzy. Like, I'll be honest. It's not, um, it's like, I'm still looking, um, at a movie playing like, yeah. yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. It's not like I'm there experiencing it. It's like just looking and, um, 
so he was like he was a good deal older than me he was you know like obviously 15 16 so like i don't know i would say like a normal teenage guy would be interested in like a teenage girl but he was going after a young girl like he knew what he was doing and um yeah he um the three times that i remember happened right in my room and uh i had a witness my friend she was in there all three times um Mm. that we remember and um i remember like, I don't remember saying anything to him. Um, he tried to do it to my friend. And um, she said, like, no, get away. And he was, you know, saying, oh, it'll be fun. Like, he's just, I don't know. He's not a good guy. No. And um, I, I remember that. I don't know if it, I don't know when exactly it happened, but I was um, in the dark <laughs> in my room. Um, I had, like, a loft bed. And... Um, there was these, this uh, ladder going up to it. I was hiding underneath the ladder in the dark. And my mom uh, came to me and said, what, what's going on? And I said, I'm, I'm hiding from this man. And I said his name. And uh, the funny thing is, I don't remember what she said. Like, mm. um, but she didn't question it any further. It was kind of just like this hush, hush. Um, never went to my dad. Um, cause I just told, like, I just told dad and mom like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. About this all. Yeah. Um, cause I would, I forget, you know, like, um, with like trauma, some, you forget for periods, decades or, you know, however long. And I would remember and then blank out for like years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was actually at my brother's graduation, um, uh, the same one, you know, with the service. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just talking late at night with my brother. And I said, oh, like, like we're just talking. And uh, I was like, so, you know, when when this person molested me and he, he played it cool. And then later he went to his wife and he's like, did you know? And she's like, no, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And he came back down to me and he said, like, Angie, like this kind of stuff, like you, you don't cover that up. Yeah. And... Um, and for that, like, I feel like my brother will like always be a, a hero to me, yeah. you know, cause he was, um, like he was heavily involved in the ministry. He was yeah. going to be a preacher and like, so that was really cool. And I think that's what kind of launched me into this, <laughs> yeah. um, right. all the way up to being on your podcast. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, um, so what do you think it was at the time? I mean, I know obviously you said like it's it's easy to to blank out over certain things or like you know when you're looking at a young age you're you know you're trying to communicate what happened you're trying to explain the best you can do you feel like your mom just didn't fully understand the situation or do you feel it was something where it was just this it was a culture of just like we just don't address it just keep it quiet and you know move forward um or do you not are you not sure because because I, I know for me like you know, I think back on things that I try to explain as a, as a kid. And, and that's one of the hardest things is you want to believe your parents when they say, Oh, we didn't truly get what you were trying to tell us or, or mm-hmm. we didn't, but you're also saying they're going like, how could I be more clear? You know, at the time I felt yeah. like I was being crystal clear. So um, at yeah. the time, did you feel like, did you feel like she really registered what happened or? Ah, uh, man, like, 
I feel like they should have known because mm. like this guy was like super touchy and like mm. um I mean he was always around like he was a um came from a troubled home and mm. you know my parents were very much into like let's rescue people mm. <laughs> and um and so yeah I, I really do think that I, I don't under like I will never understand like why she didn't pursue and I do feel like if my trust wasn't already broken in my parents um, it definitely was then yeah like I knew that I couldn't yeah yeah so so when you had that conversation with your brother and I mean like you said, like hero, like someone to address that what happened was wrong and to, you know, val- essentially validate what you've been, yeah. you've been sitting there caring as like, am I overreacting? Am I missing something? Mm-hmm. So for him to say that is huge. But um, how did that, how did that change how you started addressing it? Did you just become more vocal about it? Is it something where, you know, how did you broach that subject differently after that conversation? Um, yeah, I think I just, I became more vocal and I start, I started to try to, um, I don't know, like, um, internalize that, like, I'm not going to ruin his life. He already has done that. Like, I just seen your little clip the other day, (laughs) you know, and I was like, yeah, hundred percent. Like it's, uh, it's not my fault. And, and I do remember that, um, me telling myself when I would remember um, what happened, I would say, well, he's different now, you know, and he, he, uh, I'm going to ruin his life. He has, you know, he has his wife now and four children. Yeah. yeah. And like, I would just make excuses and like, it was all on me. And so I feel like that when uh, my brother said like, don't do this, like you, you have to, you can't cover this. And, um, so yeah, I think that was the switch. Like I started to get vocal. Um, actually, went to the police, <laughs> and um, like, oh man, it was like way past the what is it called? The statute of limitations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was way past that, unfortunately. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It kind of got triggered, like, uh, like the heat started being turned on to talk about this when you spoke with uh, his wife. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, a little bit of a story. It's a, it's really, yeah, it's really messed up. Um, I became friends with his wife um, just one winter and um, through the, through the church still. Yeah. Through the church. Yeah. And so, yeah, I started to like just go on long walks with her in the winter. Like there's nothing else to do. So we did that. And well, okay, I have to back up just a little bit. Like, um, so I I am very much like um in, in the culture, uh like in the north, like um they pretty much call me like, you know, by no native. So <laughs> so like for me to befriend his wife was different for me like because she's um she's she's white (laughs) and uh, i usually don't do that but i i i feel like this is an important detail because um because like i remember that winter very strongly it might as well have been god just 
saying it out loud to me, like befriend this woman. And so I was like, this is weird, but I'll do it. And so I did. And like, man, I found out why, um, he was, he was abusing his wife. Um, who knows, like probably still is because he's still not caught, you know, like this guy is still in the church right now yeah. as we speak. Yeah. And so is his poor wife and he has four children. And, um, so he was, I don't know how much I want to go into detail, but, um, he was, yeah, he was like, I mean, we listened to a couple of the podcasts and it, it gets, you know, deep. He was like, uh, just from the conversations Angie had with his wife. And again, this is a guy that's doing like our music and he, he was almost our pastor. He was almost our pastor at one point, And he, he's like, at that time, I don't know. He, he was like doing a lot of things in the church and seeking leadership and all that stuff. And uh, from his wife, they were like, like filming pornography together and like webcamming. Yeah. And like selling it and stuff and, and trading photos with locals, like in, in our small town and that kind of stuff was going on. And like, and you could see it. Like um, I remember seeing her a couple times before I knew it was happening um, before she let me in and she looked absolutely crazy. Like, like she was going crazy. And I wondered like, what the heck is going on? And then I find all this stuff out. Um, And uh, I remember why I learned it too. Um, She was leaving down South. Her husband um, got into college. And so they were leaving. I I don't know the next, the next day, a couple days from there. And I remember like, my heart was pounding as we're, we're walking and I couldn't not tell her that I had got molested as a child um, by her husband. Like I just, I couldn't shake it. She couldn't leave town without knowing this. And um, right when I told her that it was, it was really weird because like she didn't act surprised and Mm. that was eerie for me. And then she tells me all what he had been doing and I just remember coming um, back to Norman. I was just shaking, you know, like this is really messed up. We got to do something. We got to help her. And um, so I forget what we did. I think we called, we called my dad for sure. Yeah. And um, who wasn't the pastor anymore. Like he had already um, switched the pastor to a young man, Riley Featherstone. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we called him and we're like, dad, like, something has to happen here. And I think we did call Riley yeah. as well. Yeah, it was so awkward too. Cause like Angie at the beginning of the year, uh, the beginning of winter was like really getting close with uh, his wife, uh, Sky's wife. And uh, in the middle of that, we had gotten kicked out of church. So like here, here we are now they're getting ready to go. And, uh, I'm having to call the pastor and the guy kicked us out and like say, Hey, you know, let's put these things aside for now and let's yeah. help her help her. Like this is, she's still our sister in the faith. She needs help. And 
yeah, we got uh, your dad and Riley on the phone to get something done about this. Yeah. And, and I think they, like, my dad did try. Um, I, would, I would say that I kind of pushed him into that, <laughs> really, like, um, kind of begged him to help. And um, so he, he did. He tried. But just hearing conversations, like, afterward, the I, I feel that the blame is still put on this lady. Mm-hmm. Like, it's her her fault and and like she should come forward it's her it's her life it's uh you know and all this kind of kind of stuff and like for me it's it's kind of that's kind of dumb because like how is a person supposed to come forward and like what is she supposed to do she has four kids like four kids and um you know you know that world it's like she doesn't have a job she doesn't have any source of anything and she's just supposed to she's just supposed to like okay yeah i'm going to just turn in my husband like yeah. you need uh, you need to have support to do that mm. and putting the blame on her like that's not going to do anything right right yeah it's um I, so i have to i mean i have to imagine going through this i mean one i mean the fact that I mean, even knowing it's not her fault, but the the fact that you reached out and made a friendship with someone who, you know, I can't imagine it was easy. You know what I mean? Knowing her, who she was with, and and knowing that at some point that conversation was going to happen. But, um, you know, sitting sitting back and watching that situation unfold. So you're now a third party to a situation where you're trying to help but can't, and you're seeing this cold response. Did that did that stir up? you know, or did that, did that trigger any memories to, you know, being an, a nine-year-old kid trying to explain and getting that same cold reception? Because I have to imagine like as traumatizing as that situation was then seeing it play out again with somebody else. And that's got to evoke some, some deep feeling that's, you know, probably retreaded a lot of the same emotions you felt way back then. Um, was it, at that point, were you guys still members of that church, or not yet? When, you had already you had already left. Uh, well, yeah. we we didn't leave, <laughs> or you had already been kicked out forcibly. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, I, that's a nice way to say it. You, yeah, you, you left. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I mean, when you're when you're sitting now looking from the outside in, and you're you're examining this, why do you think that there was such a such a blame placed on the victims in these situations and not on the person responsible. I mean, this is the same person, two different instances, the first of which should have been enough for some action to be taken. Um, why do you think that there was such a, a cold reception to this news? Well, I mean, I, th- I think I know, you know, like, I guess I can't like pry into someone's head space, but like, um, like my dad has kind of, you know, made, comments along the lines where like you know if this gets out like it's going to destroy the ministry mm-hmm. and um the whole you know the the whole northern ministry that has been in the works for yeah. like over 30 years it's all gonna fall yeah it's, it's like it's our church was like the hub for all these smaller communities around them mm-hmm. okay and that pressure and he was telling us like you know if if this place falls then all these other communities will fall with it. Like, 
the, the IFB backbone is this church. Right. And yeah, that's kind of the kind of weight he was throwing on us yeah. in conversation. Yeah. yeah. And I remember telling my mom kind of recently in a text, like, like this is, this is so fragile. Like yeah. um, the truth, like uh, it stands, you know, mm. like you don't have to defend it. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. The truth yeah. is the truth. And, um, and, you know, Jesus is the truth. And like, why are we, why are we being defensive about this? Like that doesn't seem like a strong foundation that we teach. That doesn't sound like the rock. That sounds like sand, you know, like the the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Feels like that. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. At that point, you're essentially doing the way corporate America would handle this stuff or the way that, you know, a a company would handle it. You're, you're worried about the brand more than, you know, having again, this security and, you know, I, I address this all the time, but I mean, the idea that, you know, talking about this stuff or exposing this stuff is going to do damage. I mean, it, it's like, it's like when you're a kid, it's like the, you can share the information and the circumstances will be a little bit less extreme, or you can wait till someone finds out. And, you know, I just, I mean, yeah, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand this idea of, you know, if we can keep it concealed long enough, it won't hurt us. Cause this stuff always, yeah. Yeah. always finds its way out. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I want to cover one more thing. And this is a conversation that's come up quite a bit um, just in the, just in the last couple of weeks, uh, just in private conversations. But I know one thing with um, one thing you mentioned was sharing something when, you know, you know, he has a family, he's got kids now, you know, he's, he's got a wife and up until that point, you know, you're unsure of how the relationship is. I mean, until you start really getting to talk to them. Um, how did you, how did you, I guess, come to the point where you were able to ask those kind of questions and, and kind of confide in her what had happened? Because I know one argument I get, and I'm not asking this as like, I'm not sure. Cause I kind of know how I feel about it, but I, I've had a lot of people that say, you know, Hey, when you post the name of somebody who's committed one of these crimes or when you bring up that so-and-so is still in a staff position, aren't you also, you know, creating victims of their families and bringing unnecessary attention to them? Mm -hmm. And, you know, while I can kind of understand the concern, you still have to share that information. You still have to um, understand that they're the ones who put themselves in that position. So you have Mm -hmm. to, there is always going to be damage. There is always going to be collateral damage from, you know, the choices that people make. But um, I guess what would you say to people who are maybe in similar situations are wanting to broach something a couple years later, you know, 10 years later when things seem to have settled, um, but there's something, this huge elephant in the room that hasn't been addressed. Uh, what would you say to them? And, and how did you kind of get to that place where you were able to talk about it and feel like you're going about it the right way? Um. Man, um, I, I honestly, I don't know. Like I, um, what would I tell them? Um, I mean, like if it's, if it's somebody else, like if it's, you know, if you know something about somebody else and it's like that kind of situation, um, then I would say that like, you have to understand that like, like I know this person is your friend and you don't want them to be hurt 
obviously like no one wants to them to be like more put in the fire you know or put right. in a bad yeah. position um so I, I would say like definitely um talk to someone that you trust i would say uh unfortunately not not the church and not a pastor yeah. unfortunately like i have to put that in but um you know talk to talk to somebody you you trust and um and figure out maybe a plan you know so that they can have support yeah. so that when you when you tell them to do something hard that they have you have a plan for them to actually right. um do the hard deed yeah. um and just realize that i mean like realize like for my my friend's situation i i don't think she's capable anymore of of making sound decisions hmm. um i'm not saying she's crazy i'm not saying that i'm saying that like when you're groomed when yeah. you're um abused psych psychic or how do you say that mentally yeah. emotionally physically if all those if you're abused like you're gonna be um kind of off kilter in your decisions and yeah. um you have to realize that and i like that i think that's the most frustrating part with all this um you know with um telling my parents and hearing them um uh kind of just say it's all on her and stuff yeah. and they're not realizing or putting themselves in her, her shoes like yeah. right um she, like she she can't make these decisions like um she needs help like yeah. she obviously needs help that's why she told me um hmm. so yeah i guess that's a roundabout answer i don't know no, if i, I mean, actually answered it was a roundabout question i mean it's just something that i you know i think about a lot and i think that um, I mean, just to be completely transparent, it's come up quite a bit the last few days because um, I I posted I posted something about the church that I grew up in. It's the first time I've named the church I grew up in in the eight oh, wow. months I've done the show. Um, you know, I mean, people who know me know when I say the church I grew yeah. up in, but yeah. it was the first time I ever really named it. And there were a lot of people who reached out who were pretty upset and were you know like it's so many years later. It's this and and. You know, I, I guess the thing I struggle with is I, I feel that I understand that there is no way to do any of this stuff. There's no way to do this show. There's no way to talk about abuse in the church without, without people being hurt. And it's not a, even if my intention's not to hurt somebody, even if my intention's not to, you know, you know, bring attention to people who don't need the attention on them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you also have to think about the greater protection of others. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when I look at these situations and, you know, so many of the men, I mean, a, a man today that I had to share an article about um, who, you know, was arrested for horrific things. He's got, you know, little kids and, and a wife. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, as a dad, I feel that like, I, I feel that knowing like they're affected by this, they're affected yeah. by what he did. They're affected by, you know, all these people who thought they knew their dad and thought they yeah. knew. And, you know, I always take that into consideration, but it's also, it's just a hard play. That's a hard situation. And it's easy to, it's easy to forget that they put themselves and their families into that situation. It's not the people yeah. who are pointing at it. It's, mm -hmm. it's that situation, but it, it is, it's something, you know, like I said, it's a roundabout question because it's something that, you know, I wish there was a way to address this without, you know, without having to worry about 
all these other fragmented yeah. pieces that are connected. Um, mm-hmm. And and even too, I mean, this is a church you grew up in. Um, this yeah. is, you know, for me, I spent 18 years at, at a church, you know, and and even though you may disagree with everything, even though you may disagree with doctrines and, you know, you may have people that treat you that way, there's so many good memories tied into this place. And there's so, your, yeah. your childhood yeah. and, and to explain that to people and say, you know, Hey, I don't, I wish that I didn't have to talk about how I grew up in any kind of negative way. I wish I yeah. didn't have to go through the way that people that I really trusted, you know, yeah. turn their back or, or fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, so I was just, I was just curious to kind of know, like, cause I mean, prop, I mean, props to you. I mean, I know that her, his wife's not responsible, but I mean, that's, that's a hard relationship to build. And I, yeah. I can't, yeah. you know, anything that brings back those memories is a hard place to be in. So, I mean, I give you tons of respect for that. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to ask this too, cause I mean, one thing that, that also comes up quite a bit on the show is, you know, supporting people who've been through traumatic events. And I know um, Norman, like you're, you're coming at this and, you know, trying to help and encourage just like, I mean, just like your brother was Angie, like, trying to explain like, Hey, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, stepping in as a support role, like what's some of the best ways to support people who've been through traumatic situations? And um, yeah. I mean, how can you encourage people who are, you know, speaking out for the first time? Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, just hearing them and reacting humanly. Right. Like uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of carry it with me. I, I shouldn't though, but you know, we we're all kind of dumb back then. Uh, Angie had told me like a good, maybe like when we first started dating or like maybe a year yeah. after dating that this guy had. And that was around her. what age? Oh, that was like uh, 18, 19. So yeah, like, okay. like 10 years ago now. Okay. And uh, she had told me that this guy abused her and like, I'm like an 18 year old and I'm just kind of like, there, like, huh? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's weird. And then I just moved on mm. and I look back and I was like, why, why did I do that? You know, like this is serious. And I think it was the same thing with Ange. It's like, he's trying to be our pastor now. He has a family. So yeah. that should be, uh, you know, just, we all did stupid things in our youth. That's the kind of stuff that was going through my mind. But yeah. recently, like with a better head on my shoulders and, her brother and Angie telling me this and even uh, the man's wife spoke to me directly Mm -hmm. um, asking for help. And like all I could do, uh, what I could do was like, listen and react like, wow, that's, that's horrible. What happened? Like that's really screwed up and that's not normal. When, when Angie shared and when, we, me and her brother started talking and like really like pointing out like how screwed up the whole situation really is. That's what really got it going. It was like, man, you're right. This is really bad. You know, and he's yeah. trying to be in leadership here. And then when his wife told me, I, I the same thing. I was like, you know, that's not normal what he's doing and this is wrong. Yeah. And, you know, this, and I shared with her just like whatever we can do to help. Like uh, yeah. Angie actually had got her <laughs> lined up a place for her to stay if she needed like to yeah. separate for a while, like all these things. And 
as a support now with, with Angie and at the time with this man's wife, it, it just came down to reacting like a regular human being. Yeah. That this situation is wrong. Yeah. And I, I got to share something like along those lines too, because, you know, this guy, he's like big time gaslit his wife and gaslit our pastor about Angie's situation. Hmm. Like, uh, I don't know, this, the, the, the gall he has. Like, uh, <laughs> we, before we contacted the police, we had let a summer go because he was going to be getting therapy or not therapy. What's, counseling. Counseling. Yeah. yeah. Counseling. Yeah. Uh, counseling. And her brother, uh, the church he went to had a really, really strong, you know, uh, counseling program to work with guys that are into this kind of stuff and right. to get them out of it. Like hardcore, like all these guys I think were former, um, they're men and they knew, you know, how to see through the lies, see through the manipulation and our pastor that this all fell in his lap. Um, he knows about this place and we shared with them like, Hey, you know, there's a independent fundamental Baptist counseling place uh, down, down South. And, uh, he said, no, the, the Lord will give me my ability to counsel him. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is like pretty, pretty rough stuff. And he, he's only a year older than me. And like, mm. You know, I know he's a pastor, but still, you know, we don't have all that experience. And right. He, he, yeah. Anyways, he counseled him for like a summer and we thought, you know, hey, if he repents, whatever, does his thing. Uh, by the end of the summer, he had contacted Angie's dad like three times mm-hmm. in private. And they when, were, when the pastor was out of town. Yeah. Like, really sneaky. Because her, her dad was obviously upset about what he did. Obviously, he's a dad, and uh, he was reacting normally. And uh, he had contacted him like three separate occasions privately. Like, uh, I know this because me and her dad had a hunting trip, and he was really opening up, really encouraging us to go to the police. And it tipped me over each time, or at least the last time, he stated that Angie's lying, that I didn't abuse her, it was someone else. And I was thinking like, you had a whole summer of counseling and out of it, you got, Oh, I'm not accountable or he's, he's still denying it. Yeah. And that's what really pushed us to go to the police. Cause mm-hmm. it was like, you know, the church isn't doing its job. And cause we tried to put it to Riley, Riley, you know, to the pastor, we tried to put it to other people and yeah, they just kept on throwing it back at us. <laughs> yeah. Like we're the only people that can ever do anything about this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's absolutely crazy, and it, it's. Oh, sorry, sorry, to, no, no. To, it's to, to go around. I was, I was going around about supporting, and uh, it, it it really broke my heart because, like, uh, you know, his wife shared with Angie, and she had told us, like, I, I told your dad already, and he didn't do anything about this, the, the, hmm. the pastor, and I told Norman already, and he didn't do anything about this. I'm thinking this is my first time I'm hearing this and I'm like horrified by this. And it just, it just shows the level of manipulation. He, this guy had said that he went to Angie's dad and went to me and Hmm. the pastor and had said, yeah, I told them everything, everything we were doing and they're all okay with it, including me. And like, like, this is messed up, man. So she's sitting there 
getting like the opposite of support. You know, she's right. calling out for help and it's, it's making us look like we're just sitting on our hands. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's just really messed up there. Right. And I was happy that I was able to share with her, you know, real emotion, real support, both me and yeah. Angie. And yeah. to know he's still doing that to our pastor now, telling her dad and telling the pastor, oh, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't abuse Angie at all. Yeah. And yeah. 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 I mean, thankfully, thankfully I had parents that actually believed me. Yeah. Um, I got like, I know that that isn't, you know, everybody's case. Yeah. So I do feel very blessed that um, they, they believe me. Actually, right. anybody, anybody that I say like, oh, this person did it. They're like, yep, he gave me the creeps. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so, I mean, obviously this is canon. I'm not, I'm not as, I don't have many cases out of that area. So how does the statute of limitations work there? And like what, cause it seems like it's a pretty narrow window. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I mean, cause you're what mid twenties coming forward about it when it, when it was going to the police or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I would have been 27. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And then nine, that's when I, when it happened. Nine yeah. years. Nine so years. about 18 years or so, 19 years. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I don't, I guess I didn't actually like exactly look up, but like I did go to the police and um, it's, it's kind of annoying because they didn't like, um, who was I listening to? I, I was listening to your podcast. I think it was Rachel peach that like they gave her the option to catch this guy on the phone right and i go into the rcmp sit down and they're like okay so you want us to keep an eye on him right i'm like no i'm here to charge him (laughs) like and they didn't even no options for a phone call nothing like that Mm. and um They they had taken her statement yeah and they had taken her friend that saw it. Eyewitness. Yeah. Eyewitness that's happening to her. Mm. And uh, it was a big process of like sitting there, all giving our statements, everything. And then uh, it was really anticlimactic. Just two police officers showed up to our door mm-hmm. and said, oh, it's not enough evidence. And it was too long ago. Yeah. And just moved on. And yeah. I was like, yeah. 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 That's, that's where it would be really... Um, valuable you know if his wife did come forward there's recent stuff that could be brought up oh yeah yeah Yeah, for sure like um you know i think canada's pretty big on like even you know marital rape which is like unknown unknown in the um ifb churches right yeah i I tell people that and they look at me like i'm absolutely insane (laughs) i'm like it's you can yeah that's that can happen yeah right yeah, it's such a it's such a it, that's that's where it's interesting. The more distance you put between you and that movement, is that there's so many flippant things that you throw out. It's like, well, of course, you know, in that world, mm-hmm. this is the case, or this, or you know, or women shouldn't, you know, women can't say no to their husbands, you know, like you you throw <laughs> out those statements and people just look at you like, are you kidding? Were you, were you going to church in the 1800s or the, you know, it's like, what do you, but it was so normal. Like all of that stuff was so normalized. And even, even in these situations, like 
him being a male in the church, you know, gives him such a leg up in any situation legal or, or not. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you guys are still, you guys are still, um, I mean, obviously you guys aren't in the IFB. Um, what's kind of your, your view now, like looking out on the movement as a whole. And, you know, I asked this of everybody as we, you know, as we get to the end of episodes is, when you when you see these cases so similar, even you mentioned Rachel Peach, she's Southern California experiencing similar things to what you experienced in Canada, and you're hearing stories from Indiana and Florida and all over the place. Yeah. Um, do you think that these problems are products of the IFB, where you know with a few tweaks the IFB could be reformed and changed, and and we could avoid these things, or do you think it's do you think they are results of the teaching and kind of, you know, mindset of the independent Baptist world? Hmm. I think Angie said it before with the IFB in the North is already so small. Yeah. And like our church, I think it's like the only non-missionary church that actually has a a local pastor. Hmm. And I don't know, the system seems pretty hell bent on, protecting itself right and that's definitely systemic inside the ifb like uh yeah just defending the brand you you said it actually the brand right and and that fragility of the movement where yeah so easily be broken yeah anything get out yeah and there's so much weight to keep this place up and running and keep other places up and running that Mm. they'll let a lot of things slide. Right. So reformed. I don't, I don't know. know. It's <laughs> well, I mean, like, like, um, I don't know what podcast it was. We kind of binged your podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you were, you're talking about like the stats or someone was, or the percentage, um, like how there's more, um, pedophiles in the IFB churches than like the Roman Catholic. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Okay, so like just based on that, like, like in the Bible, it talks about bad fruit, right? Right. You can only have good fruit or bad fruit. Like there's no in between. And so if there's a bunch of bad fruit coming out, then you have to look at the source of why it's causing that problem. And uh, if they're unwilling, and at least it was in our case, Mm -hmm. they're unwilling to look at the source then no. like, no, there's no hope. Hmm. And if, as long as you keep moving away from, you know, like upholding the Baptist doctrine over the Bible, like <laughs> that's not good. You know, like um, no. it kind of reminds me of Pharisees <laughs> in right. a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, when you said how fragile, I mean, that's, that's meant yeah. keeps circling in my mind whenever I look at it is, is there such a, you know, and I see it. I see it when now there's IFP pastors. I mean, between the things that I'm doing and there's other podcasts doing similar things. And now it's making their sermons where they're saying, you know, these sites that are, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, tearing down the church or attacking pastors. Yeah. And it's just <laughs> the fact that there's such an insecurity in what they believe and yeah. for, you know, for believing that they have God on their side. Um, it seems like yeah. they're doing a lot of work to proactively protect themselves. And yeah. um, so like, I, Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Like that was, um, that was a big thing, like coming out of it was, um, learning to separate that, like when they get up on their platforms, like when they open their mouths, God actually isn't speaking through right. them, word <laughs> right. for word. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you pray a prayer and say, like, you, you know, the pastor will close his eyes and say like, um, uh, you know, God speak through me and don't let me say whatever, you know, like yeah. don't let words come out of my mouth that shouldn't like, it doesn't matter. Like, because if he, he can veer off at any point, like, right. And I, we've seen it happen mm-hmm. <laughs> multiple right. times. We walk in, you know, when we were kicked, um, after we were kicked out, um, we'd, you know, go in and all of a sudden the messages would just take a sharp turn yeah. and like just attack. And it took, it did. It took a while for me to like separate, like, oh, okay. Like they're actually going out on their own right now and like speaking not not for god like um yeah 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 that's something where um it gets lost in the ifb a lot is you know that kind of berean attitude like you know searching searching scriptures to see if what's being said is true and that was such a corner like that was something commendable Mm -hmm. and you know I don't know if it was this like this for you, but I just remember, you know, pastor saying like, don't be going through your Bible right now. Look up here, you know, yeah. listen to what I'm saying. And it's like, <laughs> that seems like the opposite of what we should be doing in, in churches, <laughs> like maybe eyes off you and in the word. But um, so um, I, I guess just, I, I know I always say one last question, but really one last question. Um, um, you, you mentioned the, the extreme weight of being in the movement and being, you know, you already have that weight. Every, everybody, even outside the church, has that weight of what if I destroy someone's life, or you know, all of those misconceptions that that our natural, you know, mind tells us to feel. Um, but mm-hmm. then having the weight of, am I going to destroy this religion? Am I going to hurt Christianity? Like, uh, so I guess, and, and both of you can answer this, uh, but especially Angie, I want to know from you. Um, what would you say to someone who's sitting in the pew of one of these churches is holding on to this horrible secret of something that happened and they're sitting there with all this added weight from the church to not come forward. Uh, what would you say to them and, and what would you encourage them to, to do with that feeling and, and, and how would you encourage them to, to come forward regardless of that? Um, I mean like, okay, so we I was watching um, an HBO series. This is, sounds so random, but it has a point. I was watching an HBO series, Chernobyl, and mm. this one phrase, um, like I'll, I'll never forget it. He, he was saying, where I once would fear the cost of truth, now I only ask, what is the cost of lies? Mm. And wow. that really hit me hard. Like I have it on my Facebook profile. Like I love it. And right. um, and also the, the other thing that... Um, personally like motivated me was you know the verse where the truth will set you free um and i i think that's where it has to come down to you have to um let the let the truth in and um and whatever that means for you you know like um going to a trusted individual um you know, like whether it's like your spouse or your brother or whoever and you know talking talking with them and and again like the 
the church has has made their decisions and made their bed and um you're not responsible for that yeah you know i'm not responsible for that that's why i'm on this podcast like i'm not covering for anybody anymore right. like that's their problem and mm. um like i'm not i'm not here because i hate them it's actually the opposite like i i want people to realize that like i i still care and um but you have to stand on the truth you have to like or else it's going to crumble going to fall eventually mm. it will right and so yeah i guess i would just encourage that that like count the cost of yeah. the lies you know wow yeah, I mean, I think that's a great. I think that's a great place to close out, and I'm definitely gonna steal that quote for <laughs> future stuff. I'll yeah. probably make a post right when I'm done with this. But, uh, <laughs> but um, no, I, I really appreciate you you both sharing, and um, it's definitely, um, I mean, it's definitely a difficult position to be in. It's definitely interesting hearing, um, and I mean, it's sad hearing that even outside the U.S., like seeing this stuff happen in Canada and this network of churches where you know, it's just keeps spreading. And it, and there's these, these situations, like I said, from the West coast to the East coast to North South, like these stories keep replicating themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, like you said, I think until we start counting the cost of, I mean, seriously stacking up these lies about what's really happening, the more it's going to happen. And it's, it's painful to dig through it. It's painful to talk about share, but it's a lot, I mean, there's a lot more pain being stored up when we keep it quiet and mm-hmm. and wait for things to really hit their, you know, their yeah. boiling yeah. point. But yeah. um, but thank you, thank you both so much for for coming on and for sharing. And it's incredibly totally. brave to share your story. And I know it's uh, I know it's not easy. So I appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate you for using this platform to do that. That that means a lot to me. And yeah. uh, I I can't thank you enough. Hey, well, yeah. thank you. Like yeah, thank seriously. You. We got introduced by my friend and before that we literally thought we were the only people like we didn't know that people like you exist (laughs) with voices and platforms. And and just like, like Andrew wasn't joking, we're binging it and I'm thinking like, wow, you know, like this stuff is going on, like the girls homes and like the, 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 the crazy crap just all over. And it's so encouraging to hear people speaking up. And you're you being able to use your platform to get those voices out there and encourage people like us mm-hmm. that are, you know, we feel alone in this. We feel abused, and yeah. mm-hmm. and there are people that are standing up. And it's awesome, man. Really, really awesome. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. I mean, thank you guys so much. And um, you know, I, I said at the beginning, these are always awkward conversations to start <laughs> and end because it is. You know, I, I know we're meeting for the first time and and talking through you know, some of the worst, <laughs> the worst experiences that we can all talk about. But um, like I said, it was good getting to meet both of you and yeah. hope to hope to stay in touch over the next couple of months. And, totally. and, you know, we'll figure this out together, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, totally. Yes. totally. But, uh, Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.